I was born in a Catholic family in a very Muslim Pakistan. It is a highly persecuted community, minority community. So growing up for me, I saw firsthand what being the other is like, what not being part of mainstream is like. A because you're a woman and secondly, your name is Danielle. Meet Danielle Sharaf. I think from a very early age, I was not very sure but I was heading towards a path of creating my own thing or trying to look for a bigger purpose that I can help myself I could help fellow women I could help people within my community and all throughout high school and college with a strong business acumen Danielle would find something to sell or a service to provide And after graduating in electrical engineering, something that only a few women would do at the time, a new opportunity presented itself. This is around the time, I think 2007-2008 something. And I joined um, an upcoming startup in Pakistan. It was called Rosie.pk. They were a job website and they had just come into Pakistan raised series A funding and they wanted they were looking to expand and I was brought on board to make the expansion happen and I think within the first 2 3 years I fell in love with the entire idea of like ideating creating failing rising up again and then ideating creating that entire cycle right From about 2007, all kinds of mobile devices became mainstream. The first iPhones and Blackberries were selling out in minutes. Texting gained popularity and became a standard means of communication. And that's also when Danielle had her aha moment. I had this foresight that look. Web is going to die. Mobiles are your new thing. People are going to start moving onto mobiles, and we now need to start creating mobile solutions for it. Right? Um, the company had just raised uh, Series A for funding, and their entire goal was web, web, web. So I took the same idea and develop uh, took it to a mobile platform, and it was a very, very simple idea and extremely simply executed. So m- the idea was that. since majority of the people in pakistan who own cell phones and that um the job seekers we didn't have any mobile internet or anything of that sort at that time um they were very heavy text users right so they were sms they would text right so i created a portal a job portal on text messaging where these job seekers could just register with us through sms through simple text messaging create a short profile with us right and we would push them job vacancies from all across pakistan and then that slowly developed into a career counseling text messaging service where they would text us you know oh we have an interview coming up in two days like what do we do give us tips blah 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 and that entire service uh within a matter of 2 to 3 months morphed into a completely different monster that i had not imagined all of it on text messaging after that there was no looking back then one after the other we went into agricultural services where we were we started engaging farmers and pushing them content we went into women services where we knew women use text messaging a lot more than voice calls for instance in pakistan right we started pushing women content on healthcare on awareness on their rights on you know 
domestic violence, all sorts of stuff. Right? We started working with students, creating services for them, educational services where they could learn English over text messages or um, audio stuff just through simple dialings. So that's how Switch came to be. We are now in the decade of action, and here we'll talk with companies and experts from all over the world about how they're taking actions on the STDs. To learn from each other about the challenges, opportunities, and solutions on the road towards 2030. From the GRI, this is The Rising Tide. Episode on STD 5, Gender Equality. And recently, about like two years ago, we launched a full blown smartphone healthcare app for women and young girls in Pakistan, right? So it's not only a tech service or an audio service, it's now a fully full-fledged iOS compatible, Android compatible app for young girls in Pakistan who, you know, within the privacy of their homes, they can speak to doctors, they can understand, uh, they can chat about um, sensitive topics like reproductive health, period shaming, mental health, and all of that stuff. Simple, right? But remember, there are parts of the world where talking openly about subjects like these is very difficult. How in a patriarchal society like Pakistan, where um, reproductive women, reproductive health is a taboo to talk about, you cannot like, there are areas in the country where um, men will not take their wives to, they will let them die, then take them to a male doctor. So in areas like this, for instance, how do you normalize these taboo conversations, especially on an app, right? And then how do you mold content in a way that people are not offended? So that for us was a big challenge. How do you do that? So how we tackled with that is that we came up with a character called Zoya. The app itself is called Zoya. And the character is basically this 19, 20-year-old medical student who's a village girl and she has her own little scooter and she goes around the village uh, to give like medical advice and sees like women patients and all and we have animations created around her and she has her own little like family with her cat and her dog and her dad and her grandma right just to make her more sociable and acceptable successfully walking this fine line soya becomes very very popular Because women who could not talk about all these topics have someone who listens, teaches, and gives out essential information and relevant advice. Something that, at the moment, millions of women around the world are missing. We had a lot of questions around mental health, right? Questions about domestic violence. Like, women in my country don't even know that if a man hits you or if not like let alone hit you like if a, if a man is emotionally torturing you that it also equates to domestic violence they don't even know that so now we're getting like a lot of queries about oh what is domestic violence is this does this constitute domestic violence if this is then what can i do stuff you know stuff like that a lot of covid related stuff but also a lot of like soft stuff like oh you know i've got a bad suntan what do i do my wedding's coming over and i want that like wedding glow how do i get that a lot of that stuff so as far as the financial model is concerned we're still figuring that bit out because it's a free app right now for girls but that's not our priority right now to be honest our uh, priority right now is to have as many women in the country and girls use the app as possible and trust the app 
and make smarter and healthier life choices because of the Zoya. Now imagine if over the next 10 years, thousands of women like Danielle become entrepreneurs and develop their own businesses, not only in mobile and tech industries, but innovating in all kinds of sectors. Entrepreneurs, and in particular female entrepreneurs, play a key role in driving inclusive economic growth and the achievement of the 2030 Agenda. In all the countries, or let's say in most of the countries, entrepreneurship is one of the main pathways for women economic empowerment and equality. We're listening to Meral Cusel, Partnership Manager at the Women's Entrepreneurship Accelerator at UN Women. And also, when we think about the economic development of the countries, uh, women entrepreneurs, but also generally entrepreneurship, but here we talk about women entrepreneurship, they have a really a crucial role to play. They do this through employment generation. They boost innovation and growth. For example, they provide income for their families. Uh, either they are sole breadwinners of their families or they, they can contribute to the income. And also it is known that women uh, entrepreneurs, they employ more women. So more women in their communities, they, they access the job. And additionally, I think that is very important to add that there are studies that show that women entrepreneurs tend to reinvest 90%, actually it is more than 90% of their earnings in their families and communities. So that way maybe it is, we can understand the link between inclusive economic growth and development and why supporting and advancing women entrepreneurship is crucial for the realization of the SDGs. So remember everything Danielle and her team are doing? Soya, the SMS platform, is a great example of Meral is talking about. A successful company that creates employment opportunities and goes the extra mile to support the community and improve the lives of others. It's a given that women and men should have equal access to opportunities, but not only is it a right, it comes at a cost if we fail to support half of the world's population. Neglecting everything related to women has a cost in economy. So no company, of course, it's a right issue. Of course, it's the right issue. Women and men are equal, so they should have equal access to all opportunities. Of course, that. But beyond this, failing uh, failing to support women employees, women entrepreneurs in a company or in an economy is a loss for this company and is a loss for this uh, for this economy. So it is not something uh, magical. Uh, I'm saying everything is uh, under in the studies and very much proved. Now, the gender wage gap, inequality, and everything related to SDG 5 is a matter of culture, the environment we grow up in, what we taught, and how we are treated. Which means that to address and achieve gender equality, we need to come up with systemic and structural solutions. And it all starts with awareness and willingness to change. When we talk about entrepreneurship, I did programs on how to prepare the business plan, how to access to the banks, how to fill up this, how to pitch, how to talk, how to this. But we always do those programs by giving the weight to the woman. Like as if, if you don't this, you don't do this, you will fail. You know, it's just only women. However, now beyond working with women, and that is also our mission, working with the ecosystem, working with the actors within the women entrepreneurship ecosystem, now we take the weight from women and we give the responsibility to the companies because if companies buy more from women, of course, more women entrepreneurs will get ready, will prepare, right? 
every person who produces must buy, must buy products, must buy services. You are buying, I don't know, computer, pens, you know, you need some um, social media services probably for your work. Uh, probably you are buying, I don't know, items online and then you are calling those companies to ask. We are constantly in need of buying products to, and services, right? So what we are asking the companies is that when you buy, please have a look who you are buying from. Most of the companies, they have no idea who they are buying from. They don't know. They have never think about that. And when they would look and they would see that, and there's actually a very, very sad um, very sad number. On all the buying globally of public and private companies, uh, the share of women entrepreneurs is only 1%, right? Only 1%. So if you would have a look at this, if you could just put attention and change your policies, you know, establish a policy that you can also buy also from women. I'm not saying buy only from women entrepreneurs. I'm saying buy also from women entrepreneurs. And if you can raise this to 50%, I cannot imagine that this is happening. It's a great thing. But by doing this, a company, of course, they will have to work you know, on, on their HR and how they are buying their procurement. But it is not that by buying from women, they will have an extra budget, right? And I think it's a great pitch because by doing this, it is a very nice number. You know, in a year or so, they can easily say here, you know, last year I was buying an X number from women. And this number I am buying, I don't know, two times, three times, five times easily because they are buying so low numbers that I think it's, it will be like 100% more next year. At the moment, they begin working on that. So we're talking about business decisions and how awareness and the decision to address an issue can drive change. So as Meral mentions, the right element is a given. All people should have equal access to opportunities, but we're far from there. However, all of us can make a difference at an individual level, just like companies and governments. Systemic and structural changes are needed, but with our actions and awareness, we can help drive that change. For example, by consciously supporting women entrepreneurs. Like I've learned through the work that I do, that once you equip people with information, once you start feeding them information, you know, they get addicted to that information and that information then becomes a weapon, you know. And that, uh, it becomes a weapon to make the to make better informed life decisions for themselves. So it's just a question of opening the door and letting like, you know, opening a window and just letting that ray of light in. Uh, the motto for our company is mobile for change, right? And we've seen that change happen the fastest amongst women. And for us, like, that means a lot. Once you give them that piece of information and they know that this is... I am empowered enough to do this and there are people out there who will help me do it she will take that step she will understand that it's not okay for her husband to beat her up or if it's not okay for her father to not send her to school or it's not okay for the family to not give her equal share at the table as her brother you know? so for me I think what we're doing is at a very grassroots level and it's helping, again, like it's giving people, giving these women enough information to use it to make better life decisions or at least push for them, right? To give them the courage to use this information forward. So for us, like when it comes to like gender um, equality, I think on a base level, that's what we're doing with Zoya. 
The Rising Tide podcast is co-produced by the GRI and Naranja Media. We want to thank Meral Gusell and Danielle Sharaf for sharing their time and expertise. We also want to thank the Swedish government for making this podcast series possible. We greatly appreciate their long-standing support for sustainable development work, catalyzing actions towards the SDGs. My name is Tina Nybo Jensen. Thank you for listening. <laughs>